Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. All right, welcome to the Friday Habit. Ben, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing good. I'm doing well. (laughs) Hey, well today we have a very special guest. We got uh, Cole Rogers on the podcast today. He's the founder of School of Man. Cole is an entrepreneur, life coach, and speaker who is dedicated to helping men reach their full potential and live their best lives. Uh, Cole is for over a decade, uh, experience in coaching and mentoring and has helped countless men achieve their goals in both their personal and professional lives. Cole, welcome to the Friday Habit. Guys, I am extremely grateful to be here with you. In fact, that's how I like to start off any meeting, any podcast interview, or just when I just meet somebody, right? I think our world needs more gratitude in it. It helps us expand our perspective and and for me, you know, I'm just here to leave people better than I find them. And I love what you're doing. I love everything about your mission. And I can't wait. This is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, this is right up right up my alley. So I don't want to suck up too much, much of the oxygen, but I'm ready to get after it. All right. Well, hey, I got I got a would you rather or a either or. Uh, okay. Sauna or cold plunge? <laughs> oh, man, I do a lot of both. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I'm an ice back junkie, and okay. what I yeah, so what I do, I have I'm fortunate enough, I do have a, a, a full blown sauna, but then I also okay. have a a sauna attached to my pool, and I'm in Central Arkansas, so Little Rock, and the water will get down to my pool, high thirties, low forties, and then my sauna gets up to one hundred four. So what I do every week is do the cold plunge, but I go back and forth, back and forth between that 104 into the, uh, to the pool. I swim in it, tread water, and then I take cold showers. And then on the sauna side, uh, man, I like it. I like to see how, how hot I can crank it up. Now I have an infrared here, but you can kind of biohack those by putting a, a wine cork on the thermostat and putting insulation on the top. <laughs> and so there's so many ways to do it. I'm, and for those that are listening, disclaimer, when you do that, you, you pretty much throw out the warranty of anything of any kind. So, <laughs> right. it, but I'm a, I am very much addicted to the art of being limitless. And now I've not always been like that. Now, if you haven't watched, uh, if you haven't watched Hemsworth documentary Limitless, go and watch it. It's great. But, uh, you know, if you'll look at it in my library, you'll see books by Ben Greenfield from Boundless to Aubrey Marcus with Own Your Day. But, you know, there's a, there's a program we run in school, man, called Fuel Freedom Unlocked Equals Lasting Change. And that's really to help men keep the old man out of the body at the end of the day. Mm. So, but you, you'll see me doing a lot of wild and crazy stuff and, a lot of stuff I just don't post to, to social media, right? <laughs> yeah, so just your personal stuff. Well, hey, you know we have a, we have uh, we have women who listen to our show too, but uh, you know today we kind of just wanted to focus on on uh, you know what it means to be a man. And um, I I, so I would say this is that, and this is for me, my just my personal experience is that you know I don't think I was demonstrated. Uh, a lot of uh, masculinity and being a business owner, I have to, um, 
I, I have to engage in conflict. You know, I have to mm-hmm. uh, close a sale. I have to fire somebody. I have to tell somebody that they need to improve. And, um, you know, as I was kind of probably in my mid thirties, I kind of started to kind of evaluate myself and try to figure out like, you know, why are these things hard for me to do or why, um, why do I have a propensity to avoid conflict, you know? And I think some of it I felt came down to was a level of masculinity that I lacked because I was never shown, um, shown that, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about your story, um, how you kind of started and where, you know, how you kind of got into mentoring and, and coaching men. Wow. Well, I'm not going to take you all the way back to childhood because that, that would turn into a three to four hour Jocko podcast. <laughs> this, isn't, yeah, right? this is not a Joe Rogan or Jocko uh, yeah, podcast. You know, a long, a long form podcast. Lo- I love, the, love those guys and listen to them, but I can definitely give you glimpses of my life, especially the ones that are heavily laden with meaning. You mm-hmm. know, so many of us, we forget all the great things that happen in our life because we've been trained to focus on the gaps. <laughs> For, if, you, if you give people a, a black and white picture, men and women both, majority of the time, their eyes are going to fixate on the dark instead of the light. We've been taught since we were little kids both men and women to look at the gaps instead of saying, you know, I got 17 out of 20, right? We're like, how many did you get wrong right out the gate? Right. And and that's just how our culture has been built over time. But kind of going back to your comment on conflict, and then I'll get into a little bit about my story and then, you know, my entrepreneurial spirit, my business and how I've developed that uh, along the way. And of course, I'm not a sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns guy. I mean, I'm one of those that I get you the good, the bad, and, and and the ugly of my life. I'm a perfectly flawed man. I think that's a very important attribute for any entrepreneur, any leader, especially if you're leading teams to walk into. Vulnerability is a key attribute of mine, but that has to be developed like a muscle. But going back to conflict, I don't know of anybody in your defense that is really, really good at conflict and people are getting worse at it by the day, just Mm -hmm. simply due to the addiction to technology, the ease of text messaging somebody, the ease of sending an email and then being passive aggressive, the ease of just avoiding a hard, critical conversation. And if you weren't brought up in an environment and or a family culture to where you work through things. You agreed to disagree. I mean, look at our political environment. And this isn't a political statement, but it's so polarizing. You're told to choose one side or the other. And I, I don't believe, you know, that's uh, that's how America works, right? We are an agreed to disagree and find common ground uh, and we make each other better. But nonetheless, from a conflict piece, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, a little tidbit. For anybody that's looking to raise their level of accountability as a leader, as a man, and, and leadership is a very broad term. There have been thousands of books and podcasts written about and talked about it and all that good stuff. And people always ask me, it's like, how do you hold people accountable? How do you embrace in hard conversations and conflict where that other person walks away better than you find them and you do as well? You don't engage in emotion. You know, people give into the emotions way too much. And in the before you correct anybody, this is a key. This is very key. Before you correct anybody, you have to connect with that person. So you know, connect before you correct, right? And I mm, always I like use that. a yeah, I always use a sandwich method when it comes to conflict. First and foremost, understand like whoever it is that's sitting in that chair it could could be your wife, it could be your husband, 
It could be your employee. It could be also your CEO. Maybe you're going up, you know, up levels, right? And you need to make sure you have a connection first. And, and, and then you do the sandwich. You basically, you, you walk in and you talk about the things that are going well. Then in the middle, you talk about the things we need to work on. Then you bring it around and you talk about where we go from here and the greatness you see in them. Unless you're at that phase in a relationship to where you do have to to let people go. And that that's another thing, you know, and again, that's for maybe a different time. People are so scared to let people go in their lives. And that's honestly the best thing to do for them. And it's the best thing to do for you because your your proximity equals influence. But going back to conflict, people just get all worked up. They they haven't dealt with it really well. They haven't seen how and was never demonstrated in their home on how to deal with it. But just to keep it simple, connect before you correct. Connect before you communicate. Because everybody communicates very few connect. And and that's really a good jumping off point, you know, within my career and my business. And uh, you know, for me, I was uh, I was brought up in modest beginnings. I was my parents who are still married, thank goodness, my mother and father are never really showed me how to resolve conflict in a marriage. They always fought behind closed doors. That's kind of how that worked, right? Yeah. And then when you have arguments in your own relationship, you're like, well, my parents were perfect. They never fought. They never. (laughs) Oh, man. I have blown my marriage up more than once. I have. I'm telling you, brother, like, my wife will tell you, and, and I don't know the rules around cussing on this show, but uh, <laughs> she, she will tell you straight up, like, those first six years of my marriage, I was a complete ass. I mean, I just yeah. was very self-absorbed, very self-centered. It was all about me, but it, it that, that's a part of the story, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I got into the game, when I got into the business, you know, as men, we are taught to benchmark ourselves on three things, and it's... It's, it's as simple. It's athletics, it's money, and it's sex. Those are the three simple things. Just think how we're marketed to in today's mm-hmm. world. Think about watching the Super Bowl. Think about it's gambling, right? It's, it's yep. you know. It's got everything. Money, sex, and athletics. Money, sex, I mean, in <laughs> athletics, right? And and yeah. every bit of the advertising is, it could be like the new electric vehicle that's coming out, the Ford Lightning or whatever it is. There's a status mm-hmm. built around that aspect of it so when you get in the game and you're an alpha like me you know there's two sides of the alpha there's the unhealthy side and then of course there's the re the rebirth process that gets you to the healthy side and a large Mm -hmm. part of my mission is to help those alphas be reborn because we have more men who continue to wear more masks we have suicide rates going up depression going up and these are and these are statistics in in some of the most highly successful men on this planet on paper on Mm, paper and you know so with that being said a lot of lessons have been learned along the way i call them crucible moments and you know at 21 when i got in the game i mean i was making eighteen thousand dollars a year like that's what that's how i started like i i didn't say you know what i want to get in and start making a half a million or 250 or what that number was I got in on the ground floor and I wanted to learn sales. And that's what my dad did. My dad grew up dirt poor. He raised both of his brothers. His dad was not around most of his life. It was my grandmother working two jobs, right? So, you know, for him to go up the ranks in his corporation, because that's all he knew. He didn't know entrepreneurship, really. He just knew hard work, make money, take care of family. Be, You know, it's a middle-class mindset, but, you know, he was the first in, in his bloodline to honestly break 
100,000, 200,000, 300,000. So he re, he redefined that for the Rogers family name because it has been riddled with divorce, drugs, and, and crime up mm. to that point. So raising his two brothers, you know, it puts a lot of perspective in me. And here he is busting his ass to, to give every opportunity to myself and my sisters. My mom was one of seven. She was the baby of seven uh, from a traditional Italian Catholic family, the Paladinos, and raised on a farm, you know, but their money was not an, uh, of an importance in their life. It was the farm. It was the family. You know, it was a very, it's a very different, and my family's still very connected, just a very different lifestyle than what the American people really are mm. or get to see, right? And I get to live it every single day. So I got to see two different worlds really growing up. I got to see the world with my mother that it was church, it was family, it was Sunday meals, it was we got each other's back and stress was low, hence why my family's lived into their 90s and they mm. eat farm to table food. And then I got to see the other side of high divorce rate, drugs, ants and rehabs, stuff like that. And my dad being the uh, patriarch. And ultimately seeing mm-hmm. that. So as I get in the game, and that's where I'm going with this, you know, that that's that's where I, I was brought up. I was just like, okay, I, I'm just going to climb the corporate ladder because no one taught me what entrepreneurship looked like. I mean, in fourth grade, I was selling stuff out of my desk to kids in the in my class. I would make stuff at my house and sell it to them, and I'd have I would amass <laughs> like mounts of quarters and money. And the teachers finally made me stop. Because I couldn't fit my books in there. I would literally, that's, I'd sell them stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I always had that spirit is what I'm saying. So yeah, when yeah. I got into it, though, it was one of those like, hey, he, my dad gave me an, oppor- got me an opportunity in Nashville, Tennessee. And that's another key is people need to move outside of their zip code. You got to get uncomfortable, right? And it's really easy in today's virtual environment. But yeah, so like get out of your zip code. And that was really mm-hmm. good for me. And that was a time when there wasn't the phone, the iPhone. I mean, it was 2005, 2006. You had the big garments and I didn't know where I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And, but there were just these little, these little obstacles that became major victories, major Hmm. cookie jar moments for me, like passing my insurance test at the time and navigating Nashville and creating a network and, learning the the art of effort i mean it, it that it will trump talent all day long and i got to see eighteen thousand grow to forty two thousand and forty two thousand grow to a hundred thousand and so they that i got the taste right like i, I mm-hmm. got the the understanding and the correlation that my efforts will result in a reward but there was eventually going to be a ceiling because of me working for corporate america right and i didn't really like that in addition to that too from 21 to 26, I mean, that's a very self-absorbed time of mm-hmm. our lives, right? Like, I cared about money. I cared about being rookie of the year. I cared about making headways and, and conquering goals and being able to man, pound my chest when I go back to Little Rock. Like, look at me. I can pick up the bar tab, baby. Cole's yeah. in town. Let's go party, right? <laughs> so, you know, to all you young bulls out there, it, it's it's one of those things you need to be very, very careful because along the way, what you don't realize is you start developing these insecurities and, and it's tied right back to your ego and, or, and it becomes really, really inflamed. And, and that's where I was really in those early 20s. And, and 
the generation, I'm 39 years young. I'm on the back end of being a millennial. Mm-hmm. My group was brought up through the Adderall days. That's, I mean, Adderall was the thing from 2001 to 2005 when you were studying and you, everybody could get it, right? Like it was one of those deals. It's not me bragging. It's just the truth. What started yeah. in the library became a party drug for everybody. And you didn't look at it like that. You're like, oh man, it's not, see, it's not, it's not a hydro or anything like yeah. that. It's, I'm not putting a Percocet in a flushy. No, it's, man, it's a, it's an adult to give me focus. Got it from the well, doctor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, anybody, you know, go watch Dope Sick and uh, that doc- docu-series. Go watch Dope Sick on stuff like that. But to that point, what I'm saying is you, you accumulate these habits, right? Mm-hmm. Habits and habit formation and is, can work in two ways. You can either develop habits that are going to make you the goat, the greatest of all time, or you can develop habits that can make you the villain because, mm-hmm. and again, that's where you are tricking yourself. And that was one of them. I would, I would go to Adderall to give me an edge. Uh, I would go to Adderall to give me more focus because I was seeing upwards of 5,000 people per year face to face in what I was doing at that time, which gave me a lot of my emotional intelligence and social intelligence that I use today. Because every one of us communicate or very few of us connect. And then when I hit 27 and really to now, uh, that's when, you know, I met the, the woman of my dreams. And I met her when I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina. I took a promotion and it was within a big health insurer that everybody knows. But I was starting to get tired of it. I thought that I was going to climb this corporate ladder. Then I got to thinking in my mid-20s. And this was before podcasts were really real, real popular. I was like, man, I don't want to be like some of these people, nothing against them, like in 50, you know, when I'm 50 or when I'm 60 yeah. and, you know, and I'm not being derogatory. Please understand yeah. that because it's provided a lot of good living for people and, and it has for my family. So that's where I started really like questioning everything. It's like, man, I need to go out on my own. Like I'm going to be, and this is what I would tell every entrepreneur out there, or anybody that's thinking about it, is you're going to be more disappointed in the things you didn't do 20 years from now than the things you actually did do. And that's just the truth. You know, as, as the saying goes, uh, you know, discipline weighs in ounces, regret weighs in tons. But at that time, at that time, I was also ready to get married. I was also ready to start a family. And that's, that created its own level of challenges because that doesn't come with a playbook right and and so with that ashley and i ended up getting married and i decided to cut the cord with corporate america and i decided Mm -hmm. to go at 27 pretty much on my own strike out on my own adventure in the insurance business develop my own business that was my core business and i've always had a burning passion to help people from high school to junior high i was that guy looking out for the underdog because i was an underdog myself I got the crap kicked out of me on the bus, you know, after basketball games by upperclassmen. So I was, you know, I was bullied. So I always have had an affinity, you know, to help others maximize their potential and stand up, you mm-hmm. know, to the to the big bad wolf, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I've always had that burning desire, but I always told myself, not yet, not yet. And I think that that's another fallacy 
that we we buy into is that we think success is a certain destination. It's like when I hit 30 or when I hit 35 and I hit 38 or whatever that the number you have in your mind, then I'll give myself permission right. to do this. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. crap because you, this, this life is fragile. You, you have no clue when that yeah. one second will be up. We're not promised tomorrow. No. And those for those first six years, it, it's definitely from 27 to 33. It was the most trying times up to this point in my life. Hmm. And I wasn't necessarily equipped as a man to handle it. What I would do is I'd push it down. I would have Jack and Coke when I'd come home. In that first three years in particular in the business, I wasn't making any money. And my wife and I were married. I blew out my Achilles playing basketball. I had two surgeries. And I spent, yeah, I spent a week in the hospital, almost lost my right leg due to a staph infection. Wow. Right. And I would literally have my mom drive me around because it was my right foot and I would cold call on businesses. I would crutch up and cookie call businesses and she'd be in the car. And then we go to the next one. Then we go to the next one. Then we go to the next one. And I'll never forget after my daughter, Ava Madison was born, she flatlined. And it was a year after my wife and I had gotten married. And she had flatlined. You would have thought that would have woke me up. But what it did is it accelerated. And she, she's fine. She's great. She's, mm. she's a gift uh, from God. Like uh, the girl's going to do amazing things. But it just accelerated everything. Because I, I had to feed some. I had to feed another mouth. You know, my mm. wife was a, an accountant. And here I am not making very much money at all. And I remember that, that Christmas having to return a barbecue magazine because we needed the money for her formula. And I wouldn't ask for money from my parents and she wouldn't ask money from her parents. But what we did during our marriage, and that's the key here, is that, um, and I see this in a lot of men of all ages, is that it's really, really easy to focus on the easy stuff. It's really, really hard to focus on the things you actually need to put your attention to. And that was me actually self-healing. That was me ripping the Band-Aid off of the, the scars on my heart which that's what people do throughout their life. They put duct tape, score, you know, band-aids, whatever they want to do. And they, they, they push that stuff down and it just leaks out. So I got really addicted to lying to her and it's just due to shame, right? Like it was just due to shame. But, uh, you know, and I'm glad that we experienced that, that part of our lives because uh, it tested every fiber of our marriage. And, and then our son was born and I started making some more money. The business started growing and it started you know, started ginning upwards, but I was still dealing with these, this dark side of my soul, the self-sabotage side of my soul. If Cole, your bank account reaches 500,000 or your income gets to a million or whatever that number is, everything should take care of itself, right? Like she should be happy. You're giving her the lifestyle. She's, she's getting to stay home with the kids. And then what you become though, through that is a very entitled man. Hmm. There's a lot of entitlements in this world. Welfare isn't just from the government. We feed our, we feed ourselves welfare every single day in a bunch of lies and bullshit. And, uh, and that's just where I was. So needless to say, I was brought to my knees and we, we started therapy. It was the greatest thing. And then I told myself, and this is where it really gets fun and interesting. I said, if I am to, if I am to save this thing, then I've got to do something that I've never done before to have something I've never had before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that was freedom for me because I was miserable. I mean, I had set records in my business. 
you know, from where I was in the industry considered, uh, compared to industry benchmark. I had accomplished everything I saw in my mind's eye, but my marriage was complete shit. Mm. Like it was mm. just so when that's off, everything else is off. And then when I needed an edge, guess what? What I, I mean, I'll put it to you this way, guys. Like when she was pregnant with my son, I took her to Oxford, Mississippi. I went out while she was pregnant. She didn't know it. I didn't know it. I went out and party all night only for her to, for me to come back in, for her to wake up and me make a cup of coffee and me act like uh, I hadn't been gone only to get pulled over by a state trooper on the way back and him to look at me and say, I'm going to let you out of this because she's giving you the desk there. You know, so that's just where how yeah, it was. Right. And I would, you know, I would do these things to sabotage myself mm. because I felt I wasn't worthy of success mm. internally. Right. A lot mm. of us want to crank, we will crank up that internal thermostat to a hundred, but we'll figure out a way to cool ourselves back down to 60 because of the upper limit effect. And so this, it was just this civil war for goodness gracious. It just seemed like I'd have 90 down or 20 days and great. And then that dark side of the soul would lurk in and I would just, just basically just fall in line with whatever it wanted to do. And so what I decided to do was I hadn't ran a mile in three years because of the Achilles tear. Mm -hmm. Super nervous, you know, am I, is my left Achilles going to blow? And But I just knew I had to do something radical and chase after my future self. I had this vibrant vision of my future self. Mm. Love life was in the tank, the whole nine yards. So I decided to link up with a group of SEALs out of Southern California and went on a journey that's just incredible and ended up graduating from a three-day uh, simulation of Hell Week. And I was mm -hmm. one of nine out of 50 to do that. Oh, wow. It required, it, re it was one out of nine out of 50. And um, it's a big story in and of itself. But what it taught me over 18 months is the importance of developing a future self, believing in that future self. You know, you're not going to be an overnight success and trusting the process. You know, it, it, it takes time and, and really force functioning yourself and developing these environments that we're going to produce the results you most desire. And, and that's where things started turning for me because I had to sober up to the fact that, man, if I don't get this, this together, doesn't matter how much money I, I make, I'm about to lose everything that's really important to me. All right, we're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, go to thefridayhabit.com there you can find show notes for this episode uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch at the bottom of the page you can download our guide to the friday habit system that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business if you're not already make sure you subscribe uh, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode subscribe so you get notified uh, also leave us a review in apple podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at the Friday Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.